Pride is the only lust. That's the only lust there is. All other forms of suffering are extensions of pride. Everything, that's, that's the first sin, it's the only sin. All other sins are basically different forms of pride. So, pride is, say you create a course, you created a trajectory from, from point A to point B. And again, your vehicle from point A to point B is your cycle. So, your habits, all the things you do that get you from here to there. So, if you you cleanse, you get to, from in this many days, you get from this point to this point. You work out this many days, you, work, you get from this point to this point. So, if you're on your course that you created from the point of infinitude, because before you're coming in life into the physical finite form, you're coming from, from a more infinite state of being. So that's where that trajectory is created from. So when you're on your course, you're midway through the course and you want to take a left or a right and get caught up in the left and the right and all these things on the, on the path. And, and, and if you take those lefts or rights, then you won't be with yourself. They're not for yourself, so yourself can't. Yourself is on the trajectory that it's on. So, and it was created perfectly by yourself. So once you get midway through the trajectory, the view or scope that you have from that point isn't the same as the view or scope that you had once you created and started the ripple. You're starting from an invisible, more infinite scene where you're like, all right, I'm gonna create this human body, come into form, do these things, have these things, and it'll come into fruition like this, and then I'll kick, you know, whether I maintain immortality or I push it down through my children's children and then return and I'm in a better space, whatever it is, however you do it, you're creating it from a, a more, a closer to God or closer to self, what have you, closer to law, state of being, more infinite. So that's where that's from, that trajectory's from. Now, midway through the trip, you might say, oh, I got, I'm panicked, I wanna take this left or this right because of you know the lust or whatever you know what would have you to you know, alleviate responsibility and uh give in to the fear so that you don't have to be responsible and um when you do that you're basically looking from a beastly scope because again the body is the animated part of us it's the finite, finite part so you're looking from that trajectory from that point and being in the middle of something not being you know, fully completed, not being, having like, you know, completed a transition through a, a lifetime and now you're creating another trajectory or continuing on a trajectory and watching yourself unfold it for you. So once you do that and you try to take those lefts and those rights and you panic and you try to, you know, uh, apply beastly will, you, you, that's when you experience even more suffering. You know, it's, it's about packing because you're going to have the energy that you have. So if you packed all messy, you might need a bunch more bags because you need, because you're, you're not packed the correct way. So now you demand more space because you're not kempt. You're not together like you would be. You're in pieces, so you're not in peace. It's just, it's the same thing. It's all about what you pack. You can really look at it like that as far as like the body and your energy and the energy that's yours and, and the way that you have it. And it's, it's, it's arrangement. It's all about placement. It's, everything in life is placement. You would never get in an argument with anybody if you knew where to place everything and, and how to hold everything. It's just like anything. You look at America, it's so crazy. Babylon's so crazy. You see on our dates, you see how it's not like day, month, year, like how it's like small, bigger, bigger. That's like a pyramid. That's like, you know, balance, that's order. With us, it's month, day, year. You know, the placement's fucked up, so it's just chaos. That's just part of the chaos. You know, it's just an effect of a cause. But that's my point, is that it's placement, that if you, if you know where to place everything, if 
you, you know, prioritize your value system, if you know what truly, you know, true value is, then you know, then you know yourself, you know your energy, then you can't be uh, swindled and you realize the good and bad in your memories. You realize all of what's there in, in all your memories. Like, it's, it's just looking from a certain scope of your memory, a clouded, lustful scope, you can only see, you know, so much of, of, of the view. So it's not a whole spectrum, so you can't, you know, your current state isn't, your current state is only correct if you had, if you just, if trauma made you forget the positives and negatives of events in your life. If you don't remember both sides of the, the event because of trauma one way or another, then you're missing things. And again, it's just your energy. You're, you're not packing things properly. You're not, because it's just about the arrangement. It's just about the arrangement. It's like, it's like if I have a car, a house, and in this, in a certain arrangement, and it, 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 it makes sense. You know, if I have a Bentley and I live in a trailer park, it don't make no sense. Like, it's the arrangement. Like, it's, just, it's all about the arrangement so that the so things can make sense. And, you have to be true to your values and the values that are within you. And at the end of the day, the, the values that are the truth, you know, that, that, that they're always going to protect you because they, they give back what you gave to them. You know, you gave to the truth, the truth gives back to you. So it's just more freedom. And, you know, what, what, you know, what, what, what I mean in the sense of freedom is an autonomy in a sense. And, um, you you can you can align yourself with your will to where you aren't working against yourself you aren't working against your energy and you have the ability to work with your energy and that's just you giving your energy a chance and not being prideful you know, not being like you know stuck on on being proud of of whatever you, whatever it is whether it's proud of being negative, proud of being positive, whatever it is, because, you know, some people are proud of being negative, you know, some people are proud of being positive, it's the, it's the pride that keeps you in a place, it keeps you stuck, so... CD. Do you write all these songs? Sure. Okay. Bliss is about what? Uh, actually, it's about my relationship with the Christian God. Instead of Father who art in heaven, it's Father I killed my monkey. And because my father, um, Methodist minister, Methodist minister, my grandparents, Church of God ministers, they're gone now. But it was very much about um, the Marys, the two Marys were divided, the Magdalene and the Mother Mary, um, divided in the psyche. So the Mother Mary, um, the way I see it and the way I think a lot of mythology people that I respect see it, is that she was severed from her sexuality, the Mother Mary. And then Mary Magdalene was severed from her spirituality and her wisdom. So there's a division here of almost this some um, circumcision that women, Christian women, have had to work through for the last 2,000 years. And I feel the control that's really gone on 
You know, this whole thing of divide and conquer, it's a joke, really. Divide and conquer what, a village? No. Divide and conquer a person with themselves. That's control. Then you think you have to go through these people for some kind of um, uh, soul purification, some kind of um, acceptance and forgiveness. And I'm like, no, no. The Christian God can sit over there and we can have a chat. And he can do stuff I can't do. I'm only a woman. But no, there's got to be respect that I'm a woman. He's multidimensional. But I don't see the Christian God for me as the divine being. I think there are a lot of gods in a lot of cultures that have things to say. And some of them I disagree with and some of them I think have a lot of deep truth. But in bliss it was very much about I'm part of you, I'm made of you, and there's got to be a point where I don't have to keep having to be something in your eyes. Now this is the Christian teaching. We're not walking into, you know, Cherokee teaching. We're talking about the Christian teaching that I was brought up with. And this is my line in the sand really saying, wow, we've got this screwy relationship, don't we? Christian woman, Christian God. So I'm marrying the two Marys in my own being, in my psyche. If I walk out of the studio and someone comes to me and says, who's on today? I say, Tori They say, who's she? I say, what? She's the one that you sent the letter to and wanted to blow her up. <laughs> Probably. Really? Yeah, you know. Sometimes I think the Christians really misunderstand. They think that I don't like them. And I, it's not that at all. It's about there has to be a place where you don't dishonor my spirituality and I don't dishonor yours. And this need that a few of the religions have had to no matter what take over even if they kill that isn't really love your neighbor as yourself I mean as far as I'm concerned that's what I say to the Christians and they get really upset Jesus would not be a Christian right now okay you guys have got to own what you did to the indigenous people of America first this big shadow part speaking this is my woman speaking and my Cherokee part speaking yeah. The woman thing, did it change a lot after you saw that movie, Thelma and Louise? Um, I mean, you could I not stay away from that movie. I couldn't stay away from that movie, and I was inspired to write me in a gun. This had to be the most personal, the most searing, the most lyrics that you could ever write, because it's a story of your rape. It's based on, it's based on my story. And because you could write about it, and sing about did what for you? Today I'm going to make the idea of compassion so simple for you that you will never be able to forget it. I'm going to make it so it isn't abstract, 
so that you can never use the excuse that you don't know how to be compassionate. Compassion naturally arises when we relate to someone's suffering. Therefore, all we must do in order to feel compassion and know what action to take towards that thing is to deliberately look for how you relate to their pain. If we're terrified to look for how we relate to someone, we have to look at that. What would be so bad about us relating to this person? What would be so bad if our suffering was the same? What would be so bad if I connected to them? If I considered myself to be same instead of different to them? Now here's the thing. We need to compassionately challenge the answers or the thoughts that arise as a result of asking those questions. We need to compassionately caretake the aspect of us that is too terrified to be vulnerable enough to relate to someone's suffering because of the consequences that we think are going to happen when we do that. Compassion only happens when you're maintaining the idea that you're different from something. Having compassion begins with looking for how you're the same as something. Do the opposite of what your ego naturally does, which is to look for how you're different to it. Therefore, if you're struggling to have compassion for something, dedicate time to being present with that thing, learning about that thing and understanding it. From there, if it hasn't happened already, deliberately look for ways that you are the same as that thing. From there, see if you can look for ways that you relate to their pain. How is your pain the same as their pain? Can you identify their pain? Look back over the course of your life. When did you experience pain like that? Remember what that felt like. Remember what you thought. What did you really need back then when you were in that pain? The connectedness of compassion naturally arises when we assume this perspective, instead of a perspective where we are separate from them and different to them. If we have a bankruptcy of compassion towards things that are external to us, it is an indication that we have a bankruptcy of compassion towards things that are internal to us. The reason for this is fragmentation. When we experience trauma, that is, situations that cause distress which can't be resolved in our early life, we have to dissociate from it. To dissociate is to make yourself separate from an experience or separate from something. Do you see where this is starting? Our consciousness splits when we do this as a matter of self-preservation. We push an aspect of ourselves that is experiencing the pain away from ourselves and we reject it and deny it and disown it and identify with the aspect that does not feel that vulnerability. But because we have no way of becoming two different people at that moment, instead our sense of self becomes fragmented. So even though we have one body, within that body we end up with multiple internal selves, some of which we bury in the subconscious and never allow to see the light of day. To understand how this process happens in depth, watch my video titled Fragmentation, the Worldwide Disease. When we split off from and disidentify from an aspect within us so that that splitting occurs, we naturally stop relating to it. We tell ourselves, nope, no, no, that's not me. Nope. And so obviously we lose our compassion for it. But the thing is, it's part of us. So if we lose compassion for a part of us, we're demonstrating cruelty towards a part of us. And we feel that in our own embodiment. This is why we're capable of propagating the same abuse that was done to us as children. This is why our parents can force us to abandon our true dreams in favor of doing something rational and practical of their choosing, 
and then we can force our children to do the same, no longer relating to the kind of torment that caused in us, and therefore not relating to the kind of torment that causes in our children. In order to release ourselves from suffering, we need to reintegrate these aspects of us. We need to relate to them again. We need to pull them closer so that they feel as if they're part of us again. The opposite of push them away. To do this, we take the same approach that we would to another person when it comes to compassion. Only this time, towards that part of ourselves that we're pushing away. To give you an easy example, the inner child, which we talk about all the time in the self-help field, in the psychology field, in the spiritual field, this is an aspect of you that's a fragmentation. So we develop self-compassion when we're present with the inner child within us, when we're learning about him or her and understanding him or her. The next steps are easy because you'll naturally relate to it because it's already a part of you. But from there, if it has not naturally happened already, you can deliberately look for ways that you're the same as your inner child. From there, see if you can look for ways that you relate to his or her pain. How is your pain and theirs the same? Can you identify their pain? Let your inner child show you your past. Remember when you experienced that pain. Remember what it felt like. Remember what you thought. Remember what you really needed back then when you were in that pain. How can you provide that for yourself and for other people now? The connectedness of compassion with this part of ourselves naturally arises when we assume this perspective, instead of a perspective where we are separate from our inner child and different from them, and worse, when we assume the perspective that we are adults and so a child within us does not even exist. When we do this, the light of compassion will cause an integration of these fragmented aspects of us. We will feel more whole. Our shame will evaporate in the light of our compassion like sunlight melting ice. We will take actions towards ourselves that are in alignment with compassion. I will give you an example of how this process of internal separation works relative to the loss of compassion. Imagine that you have a politician who for the most part is cruel and also dictatorial. Imagine that way, way back in his childhood, he had a father who shamed him and rejected him anytime he wasn't the very best. Maybe this father called him a loser and called anyone else a loser who didn't meet his standards. Having no way to resolve the pain of that experience and in order to keep the love of that father, he had to cut off from that aspect of him that felt like a failure and from the pain of his own feelings that he might not be good enough. He had to identify with the side of him that's a winner. He had to cover up the side of him that never felt like it was good enough with achievements so that he could never even see the side of himself. He had to push away any feeling or thought or action or person that his father associated with being a loser. He had to consider himself different to them. Now, because he has pushed them so far away, the aspect he is identified with cannot relate to them. Now he is the one calling them all losers. He is the one taking actions that increase their suffering and thinking that they deserve it. And until he re-owns the side of himself that feels like it's not good enough so as to feel compassion for it, the side that suffered the pain of the rejection and shaming of his father, he will not relate to the people who he has sorted into the category of different from me because they are losers. He will continue to propagate separation of and cruelty towards these people and not be able to meet their needs. This world functions like an impartial mirror. That means that the fragmentation you see inside the world, the war, the prejudice, the slaughterhouses, it is a complete reflection of the fragmentation that is happening within us. When compassion is the condition of our internal world, it will be 
the condition of our external world. It is often much easier to feel a sense of shared commonality with people's pain instead of their joy. Now, a lot of people argue that we should be feeling compassion and connectedness in our joy and not just our suffering. And it's not that I don't agree, but the reality is, is that our joy, it doesn't really need us the way that suffering does. Why? Because it's already working. Joy is not the thing that is causing the issues on our planet. Suffering is. It is our lack of compassion that is creating the issues on this planet. It is the way that we have not made the decision to relate to each other deeply and to see ourselves as the same that is creating the issues on this planet. Compassion is perhaps the single most critical thing for humanity to develop in the world today. And to be quite honest with you, the survival of our species is now completely dependent upon it. It is no longer a luxury. We are no longer at a point where we can wait for compassion to spontaneously arise one day. We are at a point in our evolution where we now have to help it to arise. So where the musical And feel, you know, what it felt like, I don't know whether I expressed this when I was in the park, but what it felt like being in that park was almost like there's this old idea or clothes like the character of a traditional man is like this, these clothes that a, that a man or a boy puts himself into when he comes into the process of socialization. And it's a weird mix of like some of what's true to what it means to his essence being a man and some of it's totally not. It's just like what he's told it means to be a man. So there is so much confusion in that part. And this you know, sort of blend and mix of energies. I didn't feel particularly strong. I felt really guarded. That part. But also, you know, very clear what unites them both is that both aspects really want there to be a difference between men and women, you know, and are really frustrated that there isn't a difference anymore. Don't know whether most of you who are women would agree with that or not. this side, what was super intense, I was also not anticipating, is that the part that didn't want the traditional male role was by far the more um, strong and clear to one's essence part. But at the same time, it wasn't like, you know, when I would, if I was sort of project to project my own um, idea of what it would be, I would anticipate that the part that doesn't want the traditional role would not look anything like what we just saw. I would be sort of projecting the idea that being in that part would be, um, a more feminine aspect, an aspect that didn't want all the responsibilities, but was totally the opposite. It was literally like divine male. It was almost like, you know, here's what I'm taking out of it, is that like within every single man is this very primal male essence, and it wants to express itself in a certain way. And that way that it wants to express itself, I might actually venture to say as a woman, we actually really, really want. But because of like what has happened within the process of socialization and everything, a lot of those urges that come you know, from men and men being put in a negative position sort of made men take control. And so, you know, the traditional male role has actually pulled men away from their masculine essence and sort of dumbed it down, if you will, and filtered it in ways that aren't authentic to a man. And so, you know, it's, it's almost like what, what really men are wanting is to get back to that male essence and are sort of wanting the permission to be able to do that for women 
without, like the first one was saying, uh, feeling like by doing that they're going to be called a rapist or like made out to be an asshole and pushed against. But, you know, to tell you the honest truth, even if women did push against me in this role that is on this side, I didn't feel like it would make much of an impact. I felt so much bigger than them. I mean, not in like a condescending way, but when I was in that part, I was like, it's just obvious I'm like way bigger than a woman, so if she sort of gets back at me, it's my responsibility to take it seriously because her well-being is my best, you know, that's my responsibility, so I have to actually really take her, whatever she's doing is serious and valid, but it's still like, I can't be threatened by that because if she's hitting me and smacking me, it's like being smacked by a cat, like, that's the sort of energy, it doesn't feel like a threat which felt really good. <laughs> yeah. What else did I notice? You know, something's coming to mind right now, and I'm sort of feeding that the consciousness of this one aspect, because what I feel like this one has lost touch with is that by being the essence of what a man is, actually it would be this part that has created that one. Meaning that at some point, you know, when the essence of a man met with certain conditions in the external world, like the process of socialization, for example, it would have had to have sort of altered itself and filtered itself and dumbed itself down so as to not meet with whatever consequences it was meeting with at a certain point in time. And I feel like this part has lost awareness that it actually created that. It's almost like, oh, that's the enemy and that's the guy that sort of pulled us out of our path. And, you know, these two parts are warring without this one, the essence, basically, which is the part that doesn't want the traditional male role, which it's not seeing as the divine male role, it's seeing as the traditional male role, which is actually juxtaposed to it. Um, I can do a good job it doesn't see that it created that. So, you know, perhaps it realizing that it created that for a reason and then being like, oh, now it's time for me to uncreate that is a great opportunity for men to then, you know, step forward and create whatever is a natural expression and the new expression of, of their own masculine essence. Um, another thing that I'm taking out of this is, it, is I think it's important right now after seeing both of their perspective, you know, because what this one really is wanting is to be able to like really be a man and to be able to um, have women really be women, to have there be sort of like a real clear separation and it's not even about whether one's better or worse at all. When I was in those parts it was really just, you know, I want us to be recognized for what is different about us. I'm an ant fucker. It's like white isn't oh, better yeah, than black, and black isn't better than white, but it's almost like they're having I'm a better relationship when white is white and black is black. So given that that's the only dog. real desire that and that one has, and that we, it's possible to maintain that, obviously being in this sort of masculine essence, but I think what's important to see is that you know potentially the time it's the time right now to get rid of these you know traditional roles without getting rid of masculinity. Potentially that's the fusion that we find between these two aspects.